morning. Welcome online if you're joining us there. If you're in the room, so happy to see your face. Like Deanna just mentioned, we were at VBS this last week, and so our whole staff took part in serving throughout the whole week, which is so great. And um, through part of that, just in different areas that we were gifted in. And for me, that was fourth and fifth graders. Uh, I am not as gifted with younger kids, uh, kids closer to middle school, high school, or adults. I feel that that's my gifting. And so I was hanging with the fourth and fifth graders. It was a great, great time. Uh, But what I love about kids, especially in those ages, is that they're brutally honest, you know? And we know that if we're parents, they just tell the truth all the time, right? And that's so unique. Like, God created them to be in this season, brutally honest, and, and they'll learn tact and all that. It's all good. But in this moment, I had an experience where I experienced this from a sweet little girl. We're in our Bible time, and during that time, there'd be teaching, we'd open the word, and then we'd close in prayer. And so we're getting ready to close in prayer, we're bowing our heads, and she kind of shuffles over to me and taps me on the shoulder and says, Mr. Ross, Mr. Ross. And I look up, I'm like, yeah, what's going on? She says, you have a bald spot. I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We should pray for that. We should pray for that. So, so I interrupted the whole class, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, and I wasn't leading the prayer. This was just in, in interjecting, and I was like, yeah, we need to pray for that. Uh, and so it was really unique, I think, for our staff and for me to uh, get to sit under the leadership of Deanna and Lori and just serve under them because uh, they're so called and equipped by God daily to, to really carry out the mission of helping kids connect with God through Christ and in him. And so I'm so grateful for their leadership. If you see them, give them a high five. If you know them, you can give them a hug. I'm not gonna commission all of you to give them a hug, okay? Uh, But tell them thank you. And if you see someone that you saw on the screen or that you know that served at VBS, tell them thanks. Because they were faithful to God in a season that, that, that he called them to, but also that he wanted them to show up in. And it was just so good and fruitful. So I'm, I'm super excited about what God's doing here at Hope Church. Like I said, I'm Ross. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to continue through our series in Jonah. And we're in the third chapter. If you've been walking with us so far, we started going chapter by chapter, pretty much word for word, what God is doing in the book of Jonah, what God's doing with Jonah, what he's sending him on a path to do through the Ninevites, which we see today. And so we're in Jonah 3, if you want to begin to turn there. But we're recognizing quickly that if you know a bit about Jonah, it's a book that's much bigger and much, much grander than just about a big fish um, and a fish that consumes Jonah. It's actually much deeper and bigger than that. It's showing us a really big God who has compassion and mercy for his people. And we begin to see that come to way here in Jonah 3. But what I want to show you this morning is that like Jonah, God calls me and you to obediently follow him and sharing his compassion, mercy, and grace for all people that is found in Jesus Christ. So let's jump into Jonah 3, if you're with me. There's a reference on the screen uh, for a book under your seat. You can walk with me there. Uh, Jonah 3, we're going to verses 1 through 10. And so just so you know, I'm going to read through the whole thing together and we'll break it down and then walk away with some applicable points, but it might take some time to read through it. So settle in, I'll I'll get to the end, but I wanna make sure you hear God's word, and if you can open it yourself, that's important to us here at Hope Church, that you're reading God's word yourself. So, So open it on your phone, Bible, wherever. But follow along with me, Jonah 3, 1 says this, "'Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. "'Go to the great city of Nineveh "'and proclaim to it the message I give you.'" Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. 
Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for being here with us and by the power of your Holy Spirit among us, within us. You are going to guide us through your word today. So we entrust that to you. God, as I pray often, would your voice be louder than our worries or concerns? But may we be struck with wonder of how good you are where you're leading us today and that, that your word is alive and active and teaching and correcting and, and training us in the way of righteousness. So today, God, may we reflect on a story in Jonah that, that, that happened to be and we see your goodness and we respond. God, we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. Five little monkeys jumping on a bed. One fell off and bumped its head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. A fun children's song with a kind of grave reality that the fall was so bad, they had to call the doctor. You know, if you think about it, if you have kids in the room, even younger kids, you know your kids fall all the time. I mean, geez, my one and a half year old son fell down a half flight of stairs and we still didn't call the doctor. Not out of neglect, okay? I'm a good dad, I think. Um, but out of, he was okay. He survived. He looked fine. Nothing broken, I don't think. It's still not. So he's, he's going to be all right. But in this reality of the story, right, he's fallen, he's injured, the mama calls the doctor and so the doctor responds and is the bearer of the bad news to the kids. And what is it? No more jumping on the bed. No more. That's bad news to a young kid who loves to jump on the bed. And if any adult so dare, in that hotel room with the two beds, jump back and forth, you know? We all do that. Let's just admit it now, and we're all friends, and we'll be friends. So regardless, though, like there's a fallen happen, there's this bad news. But similarly, you even think deeper to your childhood, or if you're a kid or student in the room, and those moments where mom and dad would get on you for roughing around or wrestling around in a room that had really expensive, nice things that you shouldn't break, right? And so they come in and tell you to chill out. And of course you do in their presence, but when they leave, what do you do? Continue to wrestle and rough around until that one thing of the many things you are not supposed to break falls and breaks on the ground. Then you look at each other, who will be the bearer of the bad news, Right? Of course, the youngest one maybe gets pinpointed quicker than the oldest. The middle one just disappears somehow in this whole shenanigan. But in our reality, someone has to bear the bad news to the parents that they disobeyed and something fell and was broken. Today, we get to see um, through Jonah a delivery of bad news to those in Nineveh. The unique part about the bad news is there's good news to come, which we've read. 
But we can think similarly on the gospel, the good news that we know of Jesus, that we can't get to the good until we recognize the bad. That, that we must receive God's mercy because there's bad news in our life and it's sin. And yet to get to the good, we must acknowledge and recognize it and move in and accept being saved, salvation. And so Jonah's on this pursuit given by God to deliver this really bad news. You might be reminded of it, but we'll walk through it today. But remember with me, like Jonah, God calls me and you to deliver mercy, his mercy and grace found in Jesus. So point number one, if you're following along with me today, is this first one, Jonah obeys. Let's walk through the scriptures in Jonah 3. Beginning in verse 1, we see it really quickly, that Jonah has a different response than he's had before, especially when it comes to God's commanding him to move and go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, right? And every parent in the room can sigh a breath of relief. You're more like God than you thought because God also has to tell his kids a second time, okay? So you're fine, and maybe a third or fourth, whatever, But God goes to Jonah a second time and delivers this word. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to to it the message I give you. So Jonah is taking a prophet to be, a prophecy to come to those in Nineveh directed by the Lord. If we remember really quickly in Jonah 1-2 when we opened our series, God delivered the same message to Jonah, yet now he's getting another chance outside of his rebellion, obeying God to go, And that message in Jonah 1-2 said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is sent to deliver this judgment to come. And what do we read it to be, right? Jonah goes and there's this, there's this there, there's time frame between him traveling there and Nineveh's kind of big, so he, he's taking time. But he says this in verse four, right? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the original Hebrew, it's five words. We just read eight But this short statement, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, a message from God to you. Now we know in context from chapter one, overthrown because of its wickedness that had come up before God. They were evil, they were sinful, they have done horrible things before God. And Pastor Mark, next week as we see the heart of Jonah and he wrestles with this compassion we see today that he has, Um, we get to begin to learn a bit more about how evil they were and why it's such a great feat for God to deliver mercy and for Jonah to, to struggle with that. So instead of turning to run, Jonah then turns to obey. So we see Jonah's running from God, then turning to God, then obeying and following, running with God. This took time and courage, if you can imagine, right? Jonah's bearing the bad news of what's to be, but God does the work. Point number two, the Ninevites respond. In verse five, we see specifically the Ninevites believed God and the fast were proclaimed and all of them from greatest to least put on sackcloth. And so they believed God. This is so unique and important that we see in the scriptures that Jonah obeyed, he delivered the message and they in turn, turn and believe who? God. I believe this is so powerful for us to understand and equip ourselves with because oftentimes when we share the message of Jesus with our friends and family, we so desperately want them to believe us, but we're missing the grand point. At the depth of everything, we want them to believe God, that they are separated due to their sin, but yet there's new life for them once again in Jesus. If they so, turn to God and trust him. We want to set up people to believe God. And that's exactly how Jonah 
portrayed this message and God used it to his fullness that not they wouldn't have believed Jonah. Jonah, we believe you, so what do we need to do? No, we believe God has spoken through you, has told us through you. We've heard God through you. And in this process, they make this giant shift. And you can picture a nation shifting its way before the Lord here in this circumstance, right? This proclamation's issued in verse seven by the decree of the king. So this is, this is the man who is the leader of them all, who you could say is at fault among many. Yet he issues a decree in response to believing God. And what does he say? This fast, do not let people or animals Herds or flocks taste anything in light. Let them eat or drink. We're going to fast before the Lord. People and animals be covered in sackcloth. Not only that, he says, urgently call upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. They completely make a turn. The word repentance in this time wasn't really available, wasn't a word they really knew, but actively in their stance, they're turning and repenting before God of their very violence and sin believing in the calamity that come and turning to the only one who can yet relent and stop it. And we see that in the king's phrase, right? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Everyone responded. And we see this structure in this passage really quickly. Uh, it believed, declared, and they put on what's called sackcloth, and we'll talk about that in a second. They believed God, declared a, thra a, a fast, called urgently, declaring before him, put on sackcloth in response and complete turning to God to be saved. Even the king himself, which is a really big deal, you could say is at fault among many, took off his royal robe. He actually stepped down from his throne in humility to be among people, which was not normal at all nor taking off his robe, put on sackcloth. What, what's a sackcloth? What's such a big deal? I'm assuming you don't have sackcloth somewhere in your closet. Maybe, if you do, I would love to know about it. Even at home, you should write in and tell me. But sackcloth was essentially this coarse cloth, um, mostly, most often made with goat's hair. And if you think of how comfortable that would be, you know, it wouldn't. You, you think of like right now, you go to the fair and you go to visit the animals, there's fans blowing, you know, and there's like goat hair hitting you all the time when you're in there. That's how uncomfortable it feels, kind of. Um, but stuff's flying around all in there. But it, it's worse than that. It's, it's sackcloth, a coating of goat's hair on you. But the, the importance of wearing it was deeply, deeply reverent. Because it was customary of, of those who were in deep mourning for what's happening. They would put on sackcloth in mourning for what is happening presently. And often the poor would be dressed in it too. But we see this sackcloth example in the Old Testament, actually in, in Genesis 37 through Jacob. He puts on sackcloth in expressing his grief of the loss of Joseph. We also see it in Job, in Job 16, 15. He puts on sackcloth and mourning just his reality, his severe hardship and horrible condition. And so we see sackcloth is actually a big representation that truly they're believing God to the very extent to put themselves uncomfortably, humbly, in mourning before God. It wasn't just a decree like, hey, let's not eat for a few hours. Uh, let's not just, you know, let's put on a t-shirt that we don't really like. It was like to the very extent to be, they were humbling themselves before God and turning in humility and repentance and saying, 
Essentially, who knows? God, relent, calling urgently on him. So we're seeing this urgency that's taken from the king down, sitting in the dust, recognizing the grave reality that sins before God, giving up all their evil ways and their violence, and taking this chance. So far yet, they haven't been delivered this message. It took longer than it should have because who was disobedient? Jonah. And yet they hear and they turn. This mirrors this declare believe put on this profession we make now with Jesus so beautiful about the passage is we're seeing they declare they, they believe God they declare and then they put on sackcloth this this differentiating factor that the, the declaring we make the believing we have in Christ and the putting on of new life in him is reflected in Romans 10 9 and 10 it says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you have believed and justified, and it is your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So we see this similar pattern. We declare, believe, put on this new life that God has to offer us in Christ, declaring that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, putting on a new life that we walk in, not for eternity to be, but today and tomorrow to come. This transformation and repentance we can take Similar to those in Nineveh, when we believe in God and trust in him. What's so unique is that structure is available for any of us today. But then let's continue through the passage before we get to a few more applicables. In verse 10, God saw and relented. If you're taking notes, there's a space for that. God saw and relented towards those in Nineveh. He says this in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. What? When Nineveh repented, God relented. It is no longer a punishment for them to bear. When God saw that they turned away, so now we're seeing the fullness of the repentance. They've turned to God, and he relented from the punishment they so deserved that Jonah was delivering the message of. We see this parallel of a God now, we're beginning to build this, this understanding of, of who God is. Even deeper now, we're seeing this parallel of who did Jonah turn to in, in, in chapter two when he was in need of saving? God. In the same token, he delivers a message that others turn to the same God in need of saving. And yet he relented. He's merciful. We're beginning to see even brighter as such in this story God's compassionate heart for his people. That God is sensitive to those of us who would call on him to give mercy. God is sensitive to those who cry out. He responds and answers compassionately with mercy by relenting. He's a compassionate God with a kind, loving heart. And we see that so vibrantly through, and we learn just directly through this moment that Jonah delivers, they believed and do everything to turn and repent. But what might we learn so many years later about this, about this mercy and compassion of God for us? It's on display for those in Nineveh. They're evil and wicked, maybe did far beyond what we did actively, but still were in sin, which is punishable to death and rebellion. 
But what might we learn in response? Point number one, if you're taking notes, is God is full of compassion and mercy. God is full of compassion and mercy. The Tootsie Pop is, is known for a catchphrase. It's how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? The phrase was first introduced in August of 1969, and believe it or not, some people, specifically at Purdue University, which I grew up in Indiana, kind of ashamed to say this next statement because it's kind of weird, but Purdue University, some students there conducted a study. They actually created a licking machine, okay? They created a licking machine because they needed to get to the bottom of this licking catastrophe moment or whatever. So they created this licking machine to test how many licks it would actually take to get to a center of a Tootsie Bob, to that Tootsie Roll. So the licking machine came up with the data and said it took about an average of 364 licks to get to the center of that Tootsie Pop. You know, like through that licking machine, kind of embarrassing weird. That is so weird. Like, you're all going to Google that after this. You should. I, I'm, I'm interested to say the least. I didn't do my full study on the licking machine, but it's interesting to say the least. So the smarter route they took is they actually compiled a group of about 20 students and gave them a, a Tootsie Pop and said, you look, count your licks, and tell us how many it takes to get to the center of that Tootsie Pop. So out of the 20, it was on average about 252 licks. So all that to say, the licking machine was pointless because we saw the reality with people, right? Although I'm, it's for science, you know, my scientist friends, I'm sorry. It's for science. You can do so much for science, am I right? It's so great. But either way, it's like they, they did this study and they found that it was maybe similarly inaccurate to reality. But regardless, the average of 252 or 364 took to get to the center of this Tootsie Pop. And at the center, you know, is that chocolate goodness, Tootsie Roll wrapped up. In, in, in a sucker, and I'm not the biggest fan of these, but, but hang with me, because the reality is, like, as you lick it, the further you're getting to the center, you know the reward to come, or if you haven't had one before, go try it. They come in batches of, like, 2,000, so you're either all in or all out, okay? They don't sell them by the one. It's, like, in that giant bag at Walmart, you know? But, but regardless, like, um, in this, as, you, as you're looking, you're getting to the center and you find the true goodness and the depth of the middle. And you're like, man, this is the reward I was waiting for after all these hundreds of licks, this goodness, right? That's what I think of when it comes to God's compassion and mercy. At the center of our life and our faith in him is this deep compassion and mercy, this goodness that is at the center of it all displayed by God for me and you that he is full of. And sometimes like, uh, like our steps isn't like a step we need to take, but an acknowledgement we need to make that he is just that good to have compassion and mercy for me and you. That he is just that wonderful. He is just that great. And because of that worthy, because of that worthy to be praised, worthy for our lives to mirror as he's created us to, Worthy of all of, our, all of our worries and fears to be laid at the feet of because he, as the master sovereign God of it all, can intervene and see us. That he has this compassion, this concern for our suffering due to sin, the separation, yet by his mercy relents the penalty we so deserve. That he's full of compassion and mercy for me, for you, because remember, we're all stuck in that sin, and before we can get to the good of Jesus, must acknowledge 
the bad that we must need mercy for. For Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 6.23, for the wages of that sin is death. And sin being complete rebellion. We want our own way. And yet God says, I offer you mercy and compassion. And I give you then the greatest gift to turn back to me. Why we need mercy is because we deserve death. God relents that by his compassion. He shows his mercy not by punishing us, but then offering us a gracious gift. Grace is a gift we don't deserve, and that's the gift we get through Jesus. And so his fullness in this embodies his love for us, that he's not only compassionate and merciful to me and you, but gracious in giving and deeply in loving If you remember the words of David in Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. For us to sit and acknowledge the center of our faith and being in him is based on his mercy and compassion and deep love. Of course, grace through Christ. The cornerstone of it all. As Ephesians 2 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, that gift. So we see God's full of compassion and mercy for me and you, which shows his great love, offers his great gift through Jesus. The unique part is as they turn to God, he relents. As we turn to God, He continuously relents, offers a gift that we may so accept to receive salvation, to be rescued from from eternal separation from him. Point number two, God calls me and you to go and share his compassion, mercy, and grace with others in Christ. Not only does God do this miraculous work in us individually, yet he does this miraculous work of saving us, rescuing us, if we so believe, and yet turns us to be on mission, on display for the world to see so that they may come to know him too. Like what? God knows we're not gonna get it perfect. He knows we're sinful, but yet we're clothed in his righteousness, set on mission to partake in his great calling to the nations, to turn to him and receive rescue and salvation in Christ. We are offered a gift in going. Oftentimes we may not see it that way, that we're offered a gift in going. We're offered an opportunity to go. And yet we're gifted to share his compassion, who he is, his mercy, the bad news that is, we're sinful, but his grace in Christ, the good news of salvation for ourselves through the blood of Jesus put on a cross for me and you. And to put us on this mission, the very own Jesus in Matthew 28, you might've heard it before, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Oftentimes we stop in anticipation, excitement on the mission halfway through 20. But we must recognize that God will go with us on this mission of helping others believe in him, not in you, not in any of the arguments you can think up, Sure, some of the reasonable truths of, uh, of God and his word, but it's not in belief of you, belief in him. We want to help people believe in him and his message for them of love, hope, 
of true salvation in Jesus. Like Jonah, we're on this mission. We get an opportunity to run with God. I'm gonna close our time in prayer and maybe you just think on one hand or two, just count out some people you might need to share this goodness with. But don't shy away from what's bad because before we can get to the good, we must recognize, acknowledge the bad, that we're sinful and yet Jesus paid it all, the good gracious gift for eternity and more. Jesus, I thank you for this time. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you move in us and direct our hearts and thoughts on steps we need to take to be on mission and displaying you. But maybe, God, we need to back up. And like a true acknowledgement we need to have before you and acknowledging your mercy and compassion for us. For me, God, I thank you for that compassion and mercy you offer me. Not only that, you top it with a gift in Jesus, a grace that I'm able to step into and come alive in. God, thank you for making a path for us to connect with you again. That You didn't leave us on our own to figure it out. We couldn't, we were too sinful, but yet you came, God, in fullness of flesh, delivered on a cross to save me. May we go share that truth with others. God, empower us, as you did Jonah, to continue to obey you, trust you, faithfully serve you. As we continue through our series and seeing a wrestling heart in Jonah, spoiler alert, it's, it's rough in the next chapter. God, would we be come different in you? I thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.